Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And thanks for joining us post-Pesach. As we mentioned beforehand, the Israel elections essentially have two parts. The first election happens on Election Day, and the second election actually happens in the back room of the negotiating and cobbling together a coalition. So a little later in the show, we will have a friend of the show, Mitchell Barak of Kivon Polling, uh, to discuss and prognosticate what will happen with regard to a coalition. No clear winner. Could we be headed to fifth elections? That would really be, well, it's hard to even think about the possibility that Israel will have a fifth election that they cannot get there. But the country is so divided, not necessarily between left and right, but between BB and anti-BB. But there is so much going on in the political world. As I'm sure you've heard and you know, the Georgia voting laws, the all-star game being moved, some of the absurdities going on in that regard, the cancel culture, the political correctness... And it's just nothing short of of breathtaking, the absolute hypocrisy of various politicians and those that rush to judge just about everything, but don't necessarily look at what's going on in their own backyard. I talk specifically about our senior senator here from New York State, the majority leader Charles Schumer, who had the audacity, of course, to criticize the state of Georgia for its voting laws. Now, there's a lot I don't like in that bill. There are some things that I don't like. I think giving legislatures control over elections ultimately is a fundamentally bad idea. There is a reason that boards of elections should be independent or at least have the appearance of of independence, but Jim Crow, this is not. Segregation, this is not. Absolute disenfranchisement of minority voters, this is not. I think the problem is this is predicated on the lie, the mistruth that the election was stolen, that there was widespread fraud, but that's not the case because Politicians can't help themselves, can't help but fall all over themselves to ascribe the worst and the most nefarious intentions of voting laws, even though when you're Chuck Schumer and you preside and you are the senator from the state of New York, which has some of the most restrictive voting laws, one of the bluest states in the country has one of the most restrictive voting laws as far as early voting, the number of days, as far as the hours, as far as no excuse absentee voting. No, you can't do that in New York. You actually have to have a valid excuse why you cannot vote absentee. Otherwise, your vote is disqualified. And Chuck Schumer has the audacity to talk about Georgia being Jim Crow. But I liked what Marco Rubio did, Senator Marco Rubio, who pointed out when Major League Baseball decided to move the All-Star game. Now, this is just a ridiculous move. You're moving the All-Star game because of the widespread outrage over these Georgia Georgia voting laws, which may or may not. I mean, there's again, there are some things in there 
that are not necessarily great. And they're not necessarily helpful to people voting, but they are not a return to segregation by any stretch. And as I said, they are still better than many blue states, which you are not boycotting as Major League Baseball. But Marco Rubio sends a letter. The Masters is going on, has started. The famous Masters takes place in Augusta, Georgia at Augusta National Golf Club, which is or has been for many years a segregated golf club. Excuse me, and one that not allow, uh, I I believe did not allow Jews for many years, did not allow women, others, and he asked Robert Manfred, who is the commissioner of Major League Baseball, who is a member of Augusta National Golf Club, and he said. He wrote him a letter. Last week, you decided that the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport is by relocating this year's All-Star game from Atlanta because of Georgia's revised election law. It is a decision that will have a bigger impact on countless small and minority-owned businesses in and around Atlanta than the new election law ever will, and one that reeks of hypocrisy. Will Major League Baseball now end its engagement with nations that do not hold elections at all, like China and Cuba? Will you end your lucrative financial relationship with Tencent, a company with deep ties to the Communist Party, and actively helps the Chinese government hunt down and silence political dissidents? Since Major League Baseball now appears eager to use its platform to demonstrate unwavering support for fundamental human rights, will you cease your relationship with the Chinese government, which at this very moment is committing genocide against the Uyghurs in Xinjiang? goes on i am of course under no expectation any of this will happen taking the all-star game out of georgia is an easy way to signal virtues without significant financial fallout but speaking out against the chinese communist party would involve a significant loss of revenue and being closed out of a lucrative market and he says that you have the right to say this i am under no illusion you would tend to resign as a member of augusta national golf club to do so require personal sacrifice as opposed to the woke corporate virtue signaling of moving the all-star game from Atlanta. Marco Rubio, U.S. Senator. Well done, Senator Rubio. Exposing this rank hypocrisy. And I don't know that we really want to go into the voting laws of all these woke states and all these woke people who have not yet measured up and walked the walk instead of talking the talk. But as we speak of New York, and I want to speak of the irony of New York, never let a good crisis go to waste. New York passed a budget this week. And if you didn't realize that times were difficult, well, you certainly didn't in New York. New York has gone from, in the fiscal year of 2020, spending $173 billion to in 2022, in a pandemic, in a crisis. $212 billion. That is a 22.5% increase over two years or $50 billion. And they will now have, top earners will now have the highest taxes in the nation. Of course, Andrew Cuomo said he would never let this happen, but obviously politically weakened as we've discussed and really had no interest in fighting with the left. But this is idea of, you know, 
they say, well, the millionaires and the top earners, they're not going to move. They're not going to move out, except the data is pretty clear. Since 2009 in the Great Recession, New York's millionaire earner tax base has grown very, very little compared to other states. One third, the national total of millionaire earners in that time is grown by 129%. But New York, sorry, those reporting incomes of at least $1 million increased 92%, correct. And But nationally, it's 146% of people at the top echelon. So people who are making the most money are, in fact, leaving New York. And the craziness of this, and the absolute craziness of this, is that New York State is giving $2 billion to people who didn't get their stimulus checks because they are either undocumented or because they were incarcerated. Now, I'm all for rehabilitation. I'm all for helping people out who are starting new. But you're literally taking it from people who have made money the hard way and giving it to people who aren't even citizens of the United States or were engaged in were paying their price to society for criminal activity. I'm sorry that you missed out. I am. But that doesn't mean that the guy who worked hard and made a living during that time has to pay for it. The truth is, I hate to say it, but you don't well, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, I'm going to close the show, and we're going to get to the Israeli elections in a second, or close this segment, that is, um, by remarking that Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I love to speak about, raised $3.2 million in the last quarter. It just goes to show that you actually don't need to be a legislator these days. You don't actually need – remember, she's on no committees. She can't move any legislation. She can't really be involved in any legislation. You actually don't need to do the work of Congress to do the work of the legislature in order – to be a successful, quote-unquote, member of Congress these days. And last but not least, the race for governor, he's heating up, essentially. Let's see. But Andrew Giuliani, son of Mayor Rudy Giuliani, throwing his hat in the ring for the Republican nomination, and his entire rationale for running seems to be, at least according to the quote, outside of anybody named Trump, I think I have the best chance to win and take the state back. Well, if that's a rationale, that's a rationale. All right, stay tuned as we talk about the Israeli election. And this is Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We are talking politics, Israeli politics to be more precise, and back with us to unpack the aftermath of the Knesset elections that happened pre-Pesach way, way, way back on March the 23rd. Uh, and the new Knesset has now been sworn in, whatever that means, is our good friend, good friend of the show, Mitchell Barak of Kivun Polling, uh, who did a lot of uh, election wrap-up internationally for uh, various outlets. So, Mitch, welcome back to Spin Class, and what can you tell us the new Knesset is in? Does that mean the political ferment in Israel is over? Well, it's great to be here on Spin Class because, uh, like the spin, uh, the Israeli political system is like a wheel in a spin class. In a bike, 
that is stationary and not going anywhere. So we're spinning around that wheel, that wheel, and the bike is not moving anywhere. So I think that would be the best way to sum it up. We've now completed our fourth election. We don't have any clear winner. We didn't have a, we don't have any party uh, who was able to come up with, or person who was able to come up with, you know, 61 recommendations from the president. Um, Netanyahu has gotten the mandate to form the next government, but he is nowhere close to 61. You need 61 plus. You can't run a government with 61 people, all of which is a political blackmailer. Um, and he's got about 52, and he may have to get one of the Arab parties in, which would be really interesting if he does that. You know, maybe we could tick off the racist box if we do that, you know, so we wouldn't be considered such a racist group of people here. Um, but he's got people who would be in his coalition that have said no way would they sit, sit with the uh, Arab parties or even with the agreement of the Arab parties. And then on the other side is the coalition of change, if you will. Um, they can't even change a tire together, these guys. Like, they can't even decide who's going to hold the jack, who's going to screw the bolts in on the uh, spin class, and who's going to do anything. They just, they, they just can't get organized. They have no vision. They have no leader. They have no agenda other than changing Netanyahu, which they couldn't even, all of those people, agree on who would get the mandate there, and they lost it to Netanyahu. So, okay, so going forward, so Bibi has the mandate from President Rivlin to go ahead and form a government. I think he got 52 recommendations, if, I, if I'm correct, uh, which is well short of 61, as you rightly point out, pointed out. But Lapid got even fewer than 52 recommendations, and Bennett recommended himself. Mm. as the prime minister mm. with seven seats, which is interesting that somebody could have, I guess, the uh, political hubris, although po political hubris is not in short supply in politics, so you definitely mm. uh, have to give him credit for doing right. that, recommending himself as prime minister with seven seats. So mm. all of them well short of the mandate. Now, well, how do we mix and match the little pieces together to get to, a, and is there any way to mix and match the little pieces together? Well, first of all, what does the Talmud say about uh, someone being a witness for himself or being a uh, recommender for himself? Uh, that it's not particularly a good thing, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think there's the, the adage is something uh, a, a, a somebody who represents himself has a, a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client, but uh, uh, yeah, something that, like that. That that could be. Um, the you know he they want to be the change party but they would have gotten more seats they would have gotten closer well, would, to the would you say they tell us who they is okay so so you have lieberman gantz who recommended lapid lapid and his party recommended himself with 17 seats uh you have the merits party and the labor party so what was missing was a lot let me just point in there a lot of strange bedfellows in that group yeah, and and that's. I fine. mean, who would have ever thought that Meretz, Lieberman, and others would sit together? You know what? Uh, uh, maybe it's time for everyone to grow up and focus on the things that we need to focus on now, which is like you know, uh, economy, coronavirus, uh, you know, passing the budget from last year, passing the budget for this year before it's over. Uh, so that's possible. What what was missing from that group was. Bennett's party of seven seats and Guidon Tsar's party of six seats. Now, had they had they uh, um, 
had they recommended Lapid, Lapid would have had more than Netanyahu. And they said the, the joint Arab list had said that if Saar's party, even if Bennett's party didn't, if Saar's party would have recommended Lapid, they might have gone also. So, so you know, again, they're trying to hobble together a government where the thing about Bennett, it's not just the political hubris that he is uh, displaying. He's actually doing a house of cards maneuver here, meaning it's a political blackmail of the highest order. He, if he actually squeaks out to be prime minister by this constellation of you know, variables, he's basically blackmailing the parties because he basically has said to Lapid and those people, he says, listen, I could go with Netanyahu. And if I go with Netanyahu, Netanyahu will get a government and I'll have a rotation with Netanyahu and I'll have all the ministries I want. And if in order for me not to do that, I want to be prime minister first in the rotation. And, you know, he even is like a hazard with the things he asked for. He wanted, he and Saar said, we want the five top ministries, all the ministries that are going to make it a right-wing government. He said, we want to make sure that in the cabinet and the security cabinet, that my people, the right of center people have a majority. And Lapid at some point says, listen, you know, he's been very generous, Lapid. And he's shown in the past that he was willing to, you know, uh, give up. For Benny Gantz when Benny Gantz was running. But, you know, there's no reality here when it comes to Bennett as far as what he's asking for. Uh, and you know what? But he might have been able to do it. But that was three days ago. And he couldn't make the decision because he couldn't say, I'm going to go with Lapid. It's time to finish with Netanyahu. Had he done that, he might be looking at putting together a government now because Lapid would have gotten the mandate then. And Lapid told him, even publicly, that you can be first in the rotation. What Bennett was, was again, he's, he's like a, 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 a chazer of a negotiator here. What Bennett was asking for, he says, no, I want to get the mandate, and I'll form the government, and I'll be the first one. And Lapid said to his, you know, his close uh, uh, confidant, he says, how can we trust him? As soon as he gets the mandate, he's going to run to Netanyahu and then try and put together a government. So, you know, so there's no trust even. You know, there used to be, as they say, there used to be a, um, you know, a certain uh, ethics among thieves. You know, there was a code of ethic among thieves. There's not even a code of ethics among those people, you know, opposing Netanyahu. So there's so much, I guess, to go that a foreigner would not understand about this process. And I get from the, I don't know what the right word of it for, factionalism, tribalism, where, you know, now you have well, all these different characters. Okay, sorry. Well, uh, all these different let, characters let start, looking, out, looking out for their own little, uh, you know, piece of the pie, right? They, you know, the, the numbers are set, the voters have spoken, and now everybody is looking. And you also have this idea that potentially these breakaway factions can form. I think you talked about that beforehand, about individual groups of two or three or maybe four uh, MKs could potentially break off and go to another side. You know, can Gidon Sar hold together his group uh, that had broken off from the Likud? Can Bennett hold together his group? Can last time around 
Gantz and Yeshatid were together, they factionalized. All these little things can happen potentially as they cobble together the 61. Uh, yeah, so, so that is correct. Meaning, but we'll only know that in 27 days because that's the time that Netanyahu has left. He had 28 days to start. He has 27, and if I know him well, he will really start working on the 24th or the 25th day, and then we'll ask for an extension, which you won't get. So he's really not going to get it this time, um, but he's going to try and pick off various people from from the different parties. That's really his only his only path to to do that at this point. Um, but he's got the mandate, and that gives him an advantage. And he's got you know he's facing people that are not organized, that they don't have a vision, and so forth. You know, it, it, it's hard for people to understand uh, who don't live in Israel and don't live this. So what I like to say is, you know, we're all so proud for many, many years. We always love to say Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. That's such a lovely sentence. People love to say it. They're so proud. You know, I mean, it's in a democracy of all these other Middle Eastern dictatorships and, and monarchies and and so forth, but you just need to change that sentence a little bit and say Israel is the only Middle Eastern democracy. Once you change that, your perspective should change too, because a Middle Eastern democracy is not a democracy like America. There you have the tribalism, you have the hatred or the racism, if you will. You have gender issues. You have even within, you know, various factions of the Jewish population, Ashkenazim versus the Spartans, the Moroccans versus the Tunisians, versus the Persians versus the Iraqis, versus the Yemenites. Then you have the Hasidim and the Litvaks. And you have the, the, the Russians versus the Moroccans versus everyone else. So, you know, that's what is going on here. And then you have, you know, all these parties are dictatorships too. There's no real democracy in any of these parties, with the exception of the Labor Party, which elected its slate, the Merits Party, which is a real party that generally elects its slate but didn't now, and the Likud. But the Likud is a functioning dictatorship, uh, basically, with Netanyahu controlling pretty much everything. And and there is, uh, you know, the members of Knesset are are elected, you know, through a primary process. But it's also People are voting for dictators. They're voting for the all-stars. They're voting for personalities. All of these heads of parties, with the exception of the religious parties, people are voting for those for a specific reason, and merits, it was all who's the head of the party. So Labour's Merab Michaeli, Yair Lapid of Yeshatid, Lieberman of Yisrael Beitenu, uh, Bennett of Yamina, uh, Smart Touch, I like to call him, although he doesn't seem so smart these days, uh, smart touch from uh, the the religious Zionist party. Um, you know, they're all gants from blue and white. It's personalities, and that has changed over the years. Okay, last question. Where do we go from here? What's going to happen? What's your prediction? Fifth election? I have no idea what's going to happen. Because but you're here in, to give us a prediction. You can't just you know, punt you know, on that. I, I'll tell you, I would love to quote, there is a very, very good uh, political pundit in not far from uh, your home in Brooklyn, I believe, and, and his name is Yoli. Yoli, if you've seen him on TikTok, and he says, we're in the unprecedented. 
Everything is the unprecedented. So that's the only way I would put it. I mean, it's very funny, but um, it, everything is unprecedented. We haven't been here. We don't know where we're going. We know that we're going through a lot of changes, you know, and they, I mean, I w there's a great article in the New York Times today. I know many of your readers like to boycott the New York Times, but secretly read it uh, either online or have it delivered to the door in a plastic bag so that their neighbors don't see it. But Thomas Friedman wrote a piece that basically, you know, U.S. and Israel is kind of broken down when it comes to democracy and their divided countries. And people are asking, where are we going? And so we don't know where we're going. There's a lot of this that's going on. It's not just Israel. It's the U.S. It's France. It's it's the United Kingdom. It's Brexit. It's happening in a lot of different places. It. I, I have to say, on a personal note, I've been here 30 years. I've worked in politics in and out. I have a pretty good handle on what's going on here. I'm really concerned. Meaning, I'm really concerned because in two years we don't have a government. We don't have a budget. We don't have a clear leader. We have a man who's standing as prime minister right now who's under three, he's on trial for three serious uh, uh, crimes while he was in office, a bribery, breach of trust, and a million people don't care. A million people voted for him and don't care. And the other people want to throw him out and some people want to keep him in. And I don't see any clear way out. And at the same time, there's a lot of tension between the religious, between the secular, between various factions of the religious. You know, it's, it was, I, I like to say sometimes it was better when the, uh, the British were here. It might be better when the British were here uh, because we knew how to fight them. We could be uh, organized. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know where we're headed. I wish I did. So, sounds like a little bit of a cop-out to me, but, uh, but let me just ask you then one more. Since you mentioned the U.S., uh, and since you mentioned the U.S. government, uh, it's been widely reported that Joe Biden has essentially said that he is not going to be the one to try and create peace between Israel and the Palestinians. Now, what's that a function of, in your opinion, that he is he, he's he, he just sees that as just a, a the colossal black hole or he's actually smartened up and you know realized that uh, well, that is. Well, they're supposed to have they're supposed to have elections. I mean, Abu Mazen is in the fifteenth year of his four year term, so you know Abu Mazen is not the right guy. There is some level of will they be as conclusive about. as the Israel's elections? Yeah, it, it may be, but you know what? When it gets to this point of four election, someone takes control over there. They don't let it go to a, another election. Um, so, so that's one thing. They need a regime change there. They need someone that can make some compromises or someone that can accept Israel and try and move forward. And they don't have that. Um, and the peace process is kind of taken on the back burner here and not been an issue. And the U.S. has a lot of other issues going on. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I mean, he's already said he started to, you know, provide aid to Palestinians. There's certain humanitarian aid that was cut. You know, they still are supporting terrorism in some ways. Uh, by paying people who have committed uh, terror acts, which is a terrible thing, obviously. At the same time, there, there also there's the security cooperation between the IDF and the Palestinian police is saving lives and protecting people. So, you know, it's hard to say. It's not a clear-cut uh, thing, but we have to find a better way to work with them. I will go back, though, to your question, because you did say it was a cop-out, and uh, I just would feel bad if I didn't give you your money's worth today. But uh, I think that Netanyahu has an advantage at this point uh, because he has the actual mandate. 
and he's been in this position before. He knows how to negotiate. He knows how to promise the sky. He knows how to be charming. He knows how to, you know, bite on something until he chews it, meaning, you know, he will, he will take it to the end. And the other advantage he has, meaning even look at the blue and white party. The blue and white party of Benny Gantz has eight seats, okay? I think five or six of those top people, they're already ministers. So they've said they're not going with the government. So you're going to tell me that all of those six, seven people, and some of them are deputy ministers, okay? Those six or seven, those, those people who are ministers or deputy ministers, they started their political career as ministers. So now you're going to tell me they're going to be backbenchers in the opposition of the blue and white party in the Knesset, it's going to be easier for Netanyahu to say, hey, you know what? You can stay in the tourism ministry. You can stay in the strategic affairs ministry. All you have to do, change your party affiliation, come join us, and that's what, what can happen. So well, he, he gets some of those. He gets a couple what? of SARS people. He gets a couple of SARS people. No, he not, brings Bennett over, not, and then he's done. Those are not SARS people. Those are Gantz's people. No, I'm no, I'm saying he, he takes Gantz's people, gets a couple of okay. former Likudniks, and then he's good. The, the key here, the key here is Bennett. Once he gets Bennett to collapse and to go back and to get him under the right wing again, then I think it'll be smooth, smoother sailing for him. And he's, he's going to get there because here, Bennett, if someone says, I'm going to replace Netanyahu, I'm going to be the prime minister. But tomorrow, Bennett is meeting Netanyahu. How do you think that meeting is going to go? You know, Bennett, see, even if he would be prime minister he, now, he knows it's not going to last. They'll throw him out. He'll he'll have no consensus, no mandate to really do anything. So he knows for him in his mind, I think, the path to prime ministership is through the Likud. And he could get that by saying to Netanyahu, I'll join the Likud. He's going to give him 10,000 seats in the Central Committee, ministers and members of Knesset in the next two elections for all of his people. But I don't think Netanyahu is going to agree to a rotation with, uh, with um, Bennett. But that's going to be the key. Once Bennett says that, he's that much closer. And then he can even have a minority government where all he needs to do are the Arab parties or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ra'am to not vote against him. And then he's in government. And this is what Gantz should have done in the last election. But he didn't have the guts to do it. He was close to getting there, but he didn't have the guts to do it. So it's we'll ironic that the it's ironic that the right wing part, the right wing the right, I should say, will be the one that might finally have form a government with Arab support. Well, I will say one last thing, if you will just allow me, because it'll be interesting for your uh, listener will. audience, which is in the hundreds of thousands of people in the in the four towns and the Brooklyn area and, of course, Westchester County. And that is that some of the... Don't forget uh, about New Jersey. And, and New Jersey, yes. In, in New Jersey, uh, I, I don't want to forget that. On the shore of New Jersey also. Um, some of the leading ultra-Orthodox rabbis uh, have said that, you know, we have something in common with the Muslim religious people more than we do with the Israeli leftists. was a controversial statement, but, you know, when you want to talk for strange bedfellows, it's really strange how much the Orthodox American Jews love the evangelical Christians. And the settler community loved the evangelicals. Meaning, if that isn't strange bedfellows and it didn't raise any warning lights along the way for people, that relationship, um, you know, anything is really possible. Anything is really possible. I wonder what the Rambam would be saying about that, that, that covenant 
between uh, Orthodox Jews and Evangelicals. I mean, we know what he said about Muslims. Not so far off from, you know, uh, as, as a monotheistic religion. But, hey, if that can go, then this can go too. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Mitchell Barakivun, polling and research. Thank you for your expert analysis here. And uh, look, hopefully Israel can uh, live up to its billing as the sole democracy or Middle Eastern democracy that is. Thanks for joining us once again here on Spin Glass. Thank you.